This is episode 7 of Functional First Podcast, where we speak with leading experts in the field of functional health. I'm Katie Yamamoto from Functional Media, and today I'm speaking with physiotherapist Jazz Deep Deer on Therapeutic Alliance and its impact on patient outcomes. So thank you for joining us today. Can we start by having you introduce yourself and your background? Sure, and thank you for having me. Um, my name is Jazz Deep Tier. I'm a registered physiotherapist. I've been practicing in outpatient orthopedics for about 16 years now. I graduated from Western University and since that time have gone on to do a transitional DPT as well as my clinical master's combined FCAT from Western University as well. I kind of divide my plate at this time by doing a little bit of clinical care, a little bit of teaching within the orthopedic division, and then some on the therapeutic alliance, and then some committee work. So I, I also sit on the orthopedic division as well as on the board of directors of the Ontario Physiotherapy Association. And so today we're talking a little bit about that therapeutic alliance and some soft skills. So can you define soft skills versus hard skills? Sure. So as we've gone on to talk about this topic around symposium and teaching, we're kind of recognizing that the term soft skills, we're trying to move away from that a little bit, perhaps because the perception is that it doesn't warrant the importance that goes with the term soft skills. So I like to use the term interpersonal skills. So interpersonal skills can be defined as a personal attribute that contributes to a harmonious relationship. So personal attributes that contribute to interactions that we have with patients. And then what about the hard skills? Hard skills. So hard skills are more like technical skills. So that would be the ability to perform a specific task. So if I'm going to give you a parallel in the clinical setting, a soft skill or interpersonal skill would be the way we directly connect with our patients or communicate with our patients. And a technical skill could be described as a manual therapy technique we decided to apply on a patient. And why are the interpersonal skills important? I would argue that the way a patient responds to treatment is probably 50% or maybe even more than 50% directly related to our personal interactions. So just as important as our actual treatment is, I think our patient interactions can really have an effect on our patient outcomes. Uh, physiotherapists really live in a beautiful spot in the healthcare system that we're not only afforded the opportunity to see our patients um, frequently, but we get a lot of time to spend with them. So we really have the opportunity to build these relationships. And there is some evidence that shows, which I think we might be talking about later, which does show um, that the therapeutic alliance can have a huge impact on outcomes. So knowing that, I, I think we should all see the value and importance in developing these skills. And can you share some of the current research on the topic? Sure. Um, the term therapeutic alliance actually gave birth in the world of psychology. So the most amount of evidence, I think, has been done in that realm. Medicine has also picked up on this, and has they have done some research into the therapeutic alliance and patient care, and same with nursing. So physiotherapy's uh, been a little bit slower to the game, but there is an evolving body of research to show how the strength of the therapeutic alliance, what it is, what contributes to it, and how it can ultimately affect outcomes. So just to give you a few examples, Pinto et al. did a systematic review, and what they aimed to look at was what factors positively and significantly correlated with the strength of the therapeutic alliance 
And what they found was that showing empathy, asking open-ended questions, and active listening were all factors and strategies that could help to strengthen this therapeutic alliance. So now that we know what the therapeutic alliance is and kind of what contributes to it, another study that was done that actually looked at the effect of the therapeutic alliance on outcomes was done by Ferreira et al. And what they did it was a secondary analysis of 182 patients um, that had chronic low back pain. And these patients were divided into four categories to receive four different types of intervention. The strength of the therapeutic alliance was measured on day two of their treatment through the working alliance inventory. And what they found in their secondary analysis that regardless of the intervention that was given to this patient, that the strength of the therapeutic alliance actually was a predictor of patient outcomes. And they used the numeric pain rating scale, the patient-specific functional scale, and the RMDQ. So I think that shows that the strength of the therapeutic alliance, and it was a randomized controlled trial, can actually have um, an impact on patient outcomes. Another example of this was by Fuentes et al. And what they did is they had four groups of patients as well, again with low back pain. And they had a group with IFC, so active IFC, and then sham IFC. So they had the differences between those treatments, and they found that active IFC compared to sham IFC, active IFC was better. And that group of patients, they actually received treatment with a low therapeutic alliance. So basically the therapist was advised to just go put the machine on, a little interaction with their patients. Then there was a second arm to this randomized control trial as well. And what they did was now they educated the therapist on how to heighten the therapeutic alliance, show empathy, ask open-ended questions, actively listen, uh, strategically respond to their patients. And then they applied the active IFC and the sham IFC with this heightened therapeutic alliance. And basically, the heightened therapeutic alliance patients had significantly better outcomes than the lower therapeutic alliance arm. And what's actually even super interesting about this is the group that had sham IFC with a heightened therapeutic alliance actually had a better outcome than the group with just the active IFC. So that should maybe give us a moment's pause to think about the effect of our therapeutic alliance and, and how it can actually ultimately affect outcomes. There's also been systematic reviews that have been done on the therapeutic alliance in physiotherapy. In 2010, the first one was done by Hall et al, and it has been updated in 2016 as well. So like I said, still some untapped potential um, in the world of research, but it is definitely an evolving body, and I think given what we know now, you know, it, warrants some, it definitely warrants some attention. And can these interpersonal skills be taught? Yes, I would say absolutely they can be taught. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that people just feel that these skills are natural, they're, they're innate, and, you know, physiotherapists are nice. We're just nice people, and, and, you know, that's just what we do. We try to help people. But I would say we should actively be thinking about these skills just as we actively think about our treatment interventions, our technical skills. We know that there's evidence now to show that these skills actually have an impact on outcomes, and we can develop these skills. They are starting to be taught in our physiotherapy education systems because I think some value is now being placed on them. 
using self-reflective activities as well as role play, learning communication strategies, and being able to identify social styles. Those are all just a, a snippet of the ways that you'd be able to develop those skills. But definitely, I believe these skills should and can be developed. What do you think some common mistakes are that clinicians make when communicating with patients? So I think one of them, and I think maybe I alluded to this a little bit in the previous answer, is that physiotherapists are pretty, I think, passive about the way they communicate with patients. They just do it very passively. They don't necessarily think about how they're going to change their communication strategies reflective of the patient in front of them. It's almost a one-size-fits-all approach. But again, I would argue that it should actually be an active form of our care. We should look at the patient in front of us, recognize their social style, their emotions, and then use strategies that are specific to that patient that we think will be best to be able to motivate them. Can you give some examples of good and bad nonverbal communication skills? When we look at the message delivery and what actually constitutes message delivery and how your message is received by the patient, only 7% is actually determined by what we say our actual words. The rest, the other 93%, is actually our body posturing, our tone, and eye contact. So I think good um, nonverbal communication would be good eye contact, a non-forceful gaze, using body posturing that's open, that allows the patient to feel that they can tell their story, and the therapist not looking or appearing like they're in a position of power, but setting the stage for really good patient-centered care that the patient feels that they're able to communicate and open and tell their story to the therapist. Poor nonverbal communication, again, that would be closed postures, the therapist not looking like or using body postures that give the patient the impression that they're not interested or that they're being judgmental. So I think those would be examples of poor nonverbal communication. Can you give examples of good and bad verbal communication with patients? Yes, so as I mentioned in the last response, so the words we say actually only account for 7% theoretically in the delivery of our message, but they're still very important. We have the potential to really help our patients with the words we say and sometimes even cause some iatrogenic disability. When that trust is established between a therapist and a patient, what we say is very meaningful to that patient. So making sure that we're aware of our language, you know, that we're not instilling fear into our patient, that we're consistently trying to empower them with our words is extremely important. Um, with verbal communication, we also have the power to improve our patient's expectations. And there's been a lot of evidence to show that patient expectation has a huge impact on patient outcome. If they expect to get better with a specific type of intervention, then they are more likely to get better with that intervention. So using our verbal communication to not lie to our patients or trick our patients, because we have to do our due diligence and make sure our patients are very much aware of treatment intervention and everything that's associated with it, because that's informed consent. But we can use our verbal communication to try to improve expectations of our patients if we believe the intervention is going to help them. And I always say, if I didn't believe the intervention was gonna help the patient, then I probably wouldn't be doing it on them. So if I think that patient is a candidate for physiotherapy, 
and they're on my plinth and I'm going to be doing treatment on them, chances are I believe that that treatment is going to be effective for them. So using our verbal communication to try to enhance their expectations, I think can also have a huge impact on care. So how do you make a good first impression with a patient? So this is an interesting question because literature varies, but they say first impressions usually are made between the first seven and 12 seconds. So it doesn't give us a lot of time. And researchers at Harvard have looked at what two questions people think about when they're establishing a first impression. And what they look at is, can I trust you and can I respect you? And when they wean those down into characteristics, what they found were those two characteristics are warmth and competence. And warmth seems to supersede competence. So again, when we're looking at our soft skills or interpersonal skills versus technical skills, those soft skills or interpersonal skills are actually more important in making that first impression than competence or the ability to perform a specific task. So I think making a connection, establishing a really good connection using those strategies like eye contact or a smile. And it's going to be variable. We live in such a diverse population, so cultural expectations will be different as well. But good eye contact, a smile, finding common ground, finding a way for that person to begin to trust you will do well in making a really good first impression. What are some strategies for clinicians to evaluate their interpersonal skills? Right, so again, a lot of people think that these skills are kind of fluff because they are qualitative. But there are some measures, some outcome measures that do exist that can allow a clinician to quantify their therapeutic alliance. So two examples of these are the working alliance inventory, and that was one of the ones that was used in the studies, one of the studies I previously mentioned. And there's also another measure called the care measure. And so they're relatively easy to access, and you can give them to your patients to fill out to determine the strength of the therapeutic alliance. Other strategies that therapists can use is self-reflection. Um, that helps quite a bit too, just looking back on patient interactions, seeing what did well, what went well, and what could be improved. And what are some techniques that can be used to improve your patient interactions? So myself, Dr. Dave Walton out of Western University and Jim Millard actually recognized that there was a bit of a gap in the knowledge in providing therapists with tools to be able to observe the therapeutic alliance and then find strategies to strengthen it. So what we did was we created a model called the CARE model. And so the CARE model is basically a system, something tangible that we felt therapists could use in their everyday clinical interactions and use as a baseline to try to help to strengthen these therapeutic alliances. So the CARE model, basically the four domains of it are connect, accept, respond, and empower. So four actions, if not only done, but if done well, have the potential to improve the therapeutic alliance. What we did when we constructed this model is we looked at evidence in other healthcare frameworks and the business world as well. And we came up with an adapted framework that we thought would be relevant to physical therapists in their clinical setting. So we wanted the model to stay really true to form to what happens in a clinical encounter from initial assessment or initial interaction, whether it be at a hospital bedside, on a telephone conversation, or as they walk through your clinic door all the way out through discharge. 
and any other strategies to quickly establish trust and a healthy therapeutic relationship? Well, the care model, I think, does a good job of describing what we could use as clinicians to go back and evaluate. So again, establishing a really good connection with your patient is going to get your patient to like you. And then once you've ascertained that like, you're much more likely to gain their trust. And that comes through accepting their story, being non-judgmental about your patient's story, specifically responding to them with strategies that are reflective of that patient in front of you, and then ultimately having the power to motivate some type of behavioral change in your patient and then empower them to be basically the directors of their own care. Any tips for new graduates to convey confidence with a patient? So I think actually more so than conveying confidence, the desire to establish connections with your patient is more important. Again, patients aren't going to care how confident you are. They're going to want to know how much you care. And I think it's a quote by Theodore Roosevelt that says, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I believe that students, hopefully if it doesn't already resonate with them through clinical placements, it will resonate with them very quickly as soon as they begin to practice clinically, that building that connection with patients is super important. So learning strategies, learning how to read social styles and the emotions of the patient in front of you is going to be really important. And I think establishing connections and, and letting your patients know that you care being empathetic and compassionate will serve students much better than trying to convey confidence. And both are essentially in the same. Once they're, they're able to do that, I'm sure the confidence will come. Do you have any other interesting information or facts to share? So it is quite interesting. I believe that some of the evidence is showing that the therapeutic alliance can have maybe a 50%, if not more, impact on patient outcomes. So again, it's still an evolving body of research. But it's super interesting that given its importance in patient outcomes, there is a huge gap when it comes to continuing professional development in the world of physiotherapists. We are still very much so focused on improving our technical skill. So and I'm not, I wouldn't discount the value of good technical skill. I myself have taken many courses to become better and more proficient in my own technical skill, but what I would say is that the real sweet spot of where we should practice in physiotherapy lies between that overlap of really good developed technical skill and really good developed interpersonal skill. So recognizing this, we've now created a workshop for physiotherapists. We've already ran it a couple times with, with good feedback and hopefully more courses like this will continue to come about and, and gain interest because I think it's a really valuable topic and something that you know has the potential of changing the way we practice. And where can people find out more about you? I would say the best point to find out more about me, what I do, and to connect with me would be via LinkedIn. So Jazz Deep Deer is my name on LinkedIn, and you can connect with me at any time. I'd be more than happy to answer any questions on the Therapeutic Alliance, the CARE model, and any of the workshops we run. Thank you for listening to Functional First Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating on the iTunes Store, and stay tuned each month for a new episode.